Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's a Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. He's Peter King. I am Mike Florio. Week four is upon us. Week four has begun. Week four climaxes on Sunday night in the return of Tom Brady to New England. But this is going to be a great weekend of football, Peter. And we got a perfect appetizer on Thursday night. Unexpected. Thursday night's game was like being at one of those fancy parties where they carry around the trays of finger food And you look at it and you think, I don't know what that is, and I really don't think I'm going to like it. And then you pick it up and you take a bite. That's pretty damn good. That was Thursday night's game in a nutshell. You know what you are, Mr. Metaphor? That's what you are. That's the nicest thing anyone's anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) Well, Mike, all I know is this. After the Bengals win last night, okay, some things in the NFL are everlasting. The Giants, Jets, Jags, Lions are 0-13 as we enter October. And the Bengals, of course, are all alone in first place in the AFC North. And the Kansas City Chiefs, of course, are all alone in last place in the AFC West. So... Everything is exactly how we pictured it was going to be one month ago. And what's amazing is, and you're absolutely right, because someone pointed out to me via email overnight that preseason, the win totals that are projected by the folks in Vegas, the over-under, for the Bengals, it was six and a half. That's looking pretty damn good right now as they're three and one on October 1. For the Jaguars, if you bet the under six and a half, that's looking pretty damn good right now, given that they're 0 and 4 and they got 13 games left and they got to go seven and six to hit the number over six and a half. And I don't see that happening. They just need to worry about the Titans coming to town in nine days because if they lose that one, they become the third team in NFL history to lose 20 in a row. Isn't that amazing? 102 seasons of professional football and only two teams 
have lost 20 in a row, and the Jaguars are on the brink of being number three. I think that is incredible, especially because the Jaguars, when I watch them, and, and obviously last night they're not playing the 27 Yankees, but you watch them, and that was a competitive team last night. Uh, you know, and, and look, they're in a division where they ought to be able to get some wins, and I agree with you, they're not winning seven games. They're in a division where they ought to be able to get some wins. You know, the suddenly toothless AFC South for the most part. But I, I think, Mike, the one takeaway I would have from last night, and I said this at the beginning of the year, I said, look, to me, Joe Burrow is going to turn out to be this generation's Dan Fouts. And it's because at halftime of that game last night, the Bengals were your father's Bengals. They were pathetic. They were awful. They were typical Cincinnati, all that. And Joe Burrow doesn't stand for that crap. He just doesn't. And Joe Burrow, I don't know what he did, if anything, at halftime, but you can tell that the players on that team have an immense amount of respect for a second-year player. And and to me, you know, look at that. 253 yards in the second half. I just think right now we are watching the dawn of a great quarterback career. Now, can you be a Cincinnati Bengals quarterback in this era and eventually make the Hall of Fame? I don't know that. Um, you know, I found 30 years being on that committee that where you begin your career has an awful lot to do with whether your career ends up in Canton or not. But Joe Burrow right now looks to me like he's going to be a top five quarterback in the league, top seven or eight at the very least for a long, long time. Yeah, Achilles Smith would agree with you on that, but but ultimately it comes down to changing narratives and winning championships. Tom Brady changed the narrative in New England. They were a team that had never won a championship until he got there. Joe Montana changed the narrative in San Francisco. They'd never won a championship until they got there. Let's go all the way back to Terry Bradshaw. The Steelers, in 42 years of existence, had never won an NFL championship until Terry Bradshaw got there. So it's about turning the page hard making a, a, a new reality for a team that has a prior existence that was baked in and causing everyone to view that team differently. And Burrow could do that. Burrow definitely could do that. The big concern about him going into the season was the ACL tear so late in the year in 2020. The concern that mentally it was going to be a hurdle. The Carson Palmer seeing ghosts around that left leg when you have it out there and bodies are around right. it. He's been unaffected, Peter. It's a non-issue. I think we were set up. I think it was a rope-a-dope by Joe Burrow to get people thinking that he was going to be affected in some way because he looks exactly the same way he did last year before the injury. Well, here's the interesting part of it, Mike. You know, Joe Burrow didn't only have the torn ACL. He had more damage in his knee than that. And he had his surgery 10 months before the start of this season. So I often viewed in the offseason, you know, and I was talking to some people close to Burrow in the offseason, and they really wanted the Bengals to slow, slow play his return. 
So the way I've sort of looked at Burrow is I've looked at him with low expectations to start the season. Quite honestly, I did not see him playing well enough to win at Pittsburgh, and he did. You know, neither of the other wins that they've had have been particularly shocking, you know, but I do think winning at Pittsburgh is sort of slaying the dragon that, you know, the Bengals have always played poorly in Pittsburgh. So I kind of look at him and say, if this is what he's done in the first quarter of the season, look out for what he's going to do the rest of the season. Now, you mentioned halftime, and I want to talk about that in a minute. It's prior to halftime that had me concerned as it occurred because I'm not deep into the analytics weeds, but I'm a firm believer that if you have a chance to go up three scores in a game, you take it. Because there's really not much of a difference between 17 nothing and 21 nothing. You're up three scores either way. The other team that has not scored yet the entire night has to score three times to catch you when you're up by 17 or more. 17's the number. 16's a two-score game. 17's a three-score game. And I say that because the Jaguars had the opportunity to go up 17-0. They got cute. They went for it. It didn't work. And they were only up 14-0. And Peter, I think, and I am, I'm asking you this, because you've covered the NFL a lot longer than I have. I believe that psychologically... Going into the locker room 14 nothing, and stopping them from scoring anymore is far different than being behind 17 nothing. I know as a fan over the years, team you're rooting for falls down 17 points. You're like, gosh, almost said a bad word. Oh, crap. It's done. 17? Forget about it. Do you think, and I know, hey, hindsight's 2020. so what? <laughs> that's, why, that's why hindsight's so accurate. Oh. Do you think they should have just taken the three and gone into the locker room with a 17-0 lead? And how different would the vibe have been for the Bengals if they were down 17 instead of 14? Well, three points. Number one, no, I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was the right call to go for it. You're close. You know that you were either going into halftime up 14-0 or up 21-0, and you go for the lottery. In my opinion, the reason that Urban Meyer did that is because he was telling his team, A, I trust you, and B, he was also telling his team, Cincinnati's explosive. They got Burrow to Jamar Chase, and they could kill us in the second half. We know that. So we need to get as many points as we can. The risk, I, I think it was, it was obviously a risk. But to me, that's a 70% make it play, I think, making one yard in that situation. Number two, thought it was a lousy call, you know, play call, because I don't want, unless, you know what I want my quarterback sneaking, okay? When you can sneak the way Tom Brady sneaks. When you extend the ball over the line, and, you know, you've done that. If that's what Joe Burrow did, or I'm sorry, if that's what, if, if that's what Jacksonville did, in that particular case, if they were to call, that call on that one, I would have said that's fine. But when Trevor Lawrence didn't just try to do it that way, I, I, I didn't like that call. But the last thing I would say about this thing is I think it's really interesting to realize when you look at 
all the decisions that were made in that moment. I just really believe that it's Urban Meyer saying, I'm not going to be afraid. And, and again, it didn't turn out good. It didn't turn out well. And it turned out to be a big factor in the game. But I would also say, Mike, if they kick a field goal to go up 17-0 and they score once in the second half the way they did, it not only wouldn't have guaranteed victory, but it might have guaranteed overtime. So, you know, we'll never know, but I had no problem with going for it. I just didn't love the call. As to the call, Trevor Lawrence, when he was asked about it last night in the postgame press conference, he, he said, we were all good with it, and it was something that we had run all week. We were all on the same page. So th- that was the play they, they had in their pocket ready to go. So it wasn't spur of the moment. They, they, they were right. going with that. And, and I, I just think you got to walk before you run. And all of a sudden, Urban Meyer, I'll give you another metaphor. He's like that kid that gets the bike going finally after failing over and over again. And you finally start to get that wobble worked out. And you say, hey, I got this. And you crash into a tree. I, I just think you got, you've got to, to, to ease your way into it. And I think 17, I just think psychologically... 17 is so much more powerful. But, than but Mike, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this question. Uh, I'll, I'll go against you like this. So if you take Trevor Lawrence at his word, and this was a play that they loved, and they had practiced it during the week, either as a two-point play after a touchdown or as a goal line play at any point on the goal line, And if you go into the game loving it, if during the week in practice you ran it three times and it worked every time, and I don't know how how often they practice it, but if they were very confident in it, and then it's fourth and and one, fourth and goal at the one-yard line, and you send the field goal unit out, if you're Trevor Lawrence, aren't you looking at Urban Meyer like the dog looks when he hears the strange sound? And he says, what, what are we doing here? You know, and that's how I would, that's how I, when I heard what he said after the game, that was my first thought, that we practiced it, it looked good, we repped it, we loved it, and then they, if Urban Meyer hadn't have called it, I think if I was the offense, I would have said, you don't trust us. I just don't know why anyone would think a play like that would look good in practice when the quarterback's got a red jersey on and he's going against a scout team, not the first team yeah, it's defense. A good, it's the a good opposition. point. That's a good point too. You know? Yeah. So uh, anyway, you raised the question earlier of what did uh, uh, Joe Burrow do at halftime? Zach Taylor had a message at halftime that apparently worked. Here's Bur- Here's Taylor from after the game on the message that he had to the team when they went into the locker room down 14 nothing. The message was they had really beat us in all three phases. We had not played great football. They, they genuinely beat us in all three phases. So we, we took, you know, whether or not it's their best shot, I don't know. But, but it sure felt like it. And we were not playing good football. And you had a whole second half to play. So there's no reason to panic. Nobody did. Everybody was calm, cool, and collected. They knew that we were going to get the ball to start the half. We're usually pretty efficient in that. And uh, they just trusted that we're going to come together. And, and I just told them, I, I've never, we, well, I was preached a connected team. That's what you want. This team is so connected right now. Uh, just the brotherhood is so tight. It's so awesome to watch these guys celebrate with each other. They believe in each other. Um, we've done it a lot of different ways at this point through three victories. 
and uh, and that's just going to help us as the season moves on. You know, Peter, I don't know what to think about halftime adjustments for any NFL game other than the Super Bowl, where you have a half hour to engage in extensive analysis, discussion, and planning for the second half of the game. With 12 minutes, I don't know what you can really do. And I wonder if Urban Meyer has even gotten used to that, going from 20 at the college level down to 12 at the NFL level. You can barely go into the locker room, catch your breath before it's time to go back out. Think about last week. They have that fluke 109-yard return for a touchdown right before halftime. How do you process all of that and get yourself reconfigured? And now, last night, look, whatever the Bengals did or the Jaguars didn't do, it was a completely different second half in comparison to the first half. Mike, you know, the Mannings the other night on the ESPN telecast of that game talked a little bit about that, uh, you know, what you're talking about. And their point was, there's no time to do anything really significant at halftime, the proverbial halftime adjustments. And, and I've always thought that. I've always thought, hey, the coach has 90 seconds to send a message to his team. You know, and Zach Taylor, it probably took him 30 seconds. I once, I remember once asking Andy Reid about this back when he was in Philadelphia. And he basically said, there's no time to do anything in there. You know, and and other than, let's say, you know, Zach Taylor going up to uh, Joe Burrow and saying, hey, listen, this stuff that we had on the play sheet coming in, let's kill X, Y, and Z. And here's what I'm thinking in the second half. What do you think? Yeah, let's do that. I just don't think there is time to overhaul what you do. And you make a very good point about Urban Meyer. He is still adjusting to these, you know, to the to the pro game from the college game. And I was reminded, sort of listening to his words last night, I was really reminded of his, his NFL mentor, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, so many times in 1989, would walk into those press conferences, and I'm telling you, he would look like his dog just died. And, and that's, you know, Urban Meyer's got to be careful now. You know, there's... There's 17 of these games. You knew you weren't going to be good in the first year, whether you admitted that to yourself or not. And 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 look, you know, Trevor Lawrence now, what's the stat, Mike? He's already lost uh, as many games now as he lost in high school and college. Or there's, it's something like that. And and so, I mean, this is this is beyond a totally new world. The one thing that Meyer said last night that really resonated with me is that, and I know because I was in their training camp, they had a major mantra of let's get turnovers. We got to win the takeaway battle. We got to win the turnover margin, blah, 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 blah. They're minus eight after four weeks and they're 0 and 4. Ergo. Well, and you mentioned that there's 17 games. Actually, in Meyer's mind, and this is part of the adjustment to the pro game as well, he still viewed it as 20. Because in his mind, a preseason game is still a game. That's the kind of adjustment he needs to make. And let me try to thread this needle on the whole halftime issue before we move on. And we'll hear from Meyer postgame. There isn't time to do anything. So you have to make the most out of the time you have. And Zach Taylor did what he had to do 
in his 30 to 90 seconds that he was able to talk to the team. He did what he had to do in the limited chance that he had to grab Joe Burrow and say, here's what we're throwing overboard. Here's what we're focusing on. We got to come out here. They gave us an opening. It's 14 nothing. We get the ball first. This is what we're going to do on the first drive. We cut this lead in half, and we're back in it. You know, that, that kind of thing. You don't have much time, so the challenge is find a way to make maximum possible use of it. And, and clearly, something happened or didn't for one team because here we are, completely new ball game. Bengals come back and win it on a walk-off field goal. Here's Urban Meyer after the game. Let's, let's assess how Urban's doing after not four but seven <laughs> difficult NFL games. I've, I've said this from day one is that the core of this team are good players and I thought we brought in some good players and we're getting better each week we are getting better each week just sickening that you didn't win that thing uh, but like I told you I, I'm, I'm not wrong about that I'm not wrong about those guys in that room and, and they're, they're gonna they're gonna keep swinging as hard as they possibly can I think the challenge now, and it's easier for us to say it because we don't have to do it. You got a couple of extra days to get ready instead of wallowing in the fact that we could have had it, we could have had it, and we blew it. You focus on the positives coming out of that game, the reasons to have confidence that when the Titans come to town nine days from now, you can beat them. And uh, that's the challenge. And and you give the players 24 hours to wallow in – self-pity and oh woe is us but they better wake it up Peter because and I don't know that anyone in that locker room is thinking about 20 in a row because 15 of them attached to a different regime although plenty of those players were there for the 15 including a guy like Miles Jack but they they they, they have an opportunity here because they showed us enough last night that they can be competitive and they can win games they just can't let what happened last night spill over into next week yeah, and look, as far as losing 20 in a row, um, this is just, I don't know exactly if this is correct, but there's got to be 25 new guys on that team from last year. And every one of them, when the press asks them about it next week, is going to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just got here three months ago. I, I'm, I own four of those. I don't own 19 of those. <laughs> That's exactly what I would say. And if I were their media trainers, that's exactly what I would tell them to say. Um, And look, you know, I'll go back to one other Jimmy Johnson thing. You know, Jimmy Johnson always knew. And the one thing that I like about what Urban Meyer is saying right now, even though he appears to be so despondent, and, you know, that's the way life is when you're head coach in the NFL and you're used to winning. But the one thing I liked about what Jimmy Johnson said Um, he said, oh, we're going to be good, and we're going to be damn good. I will never forget sitting with Jimmy Johnson in a restaurant in La Jolla, California, in the 1990 training camp season. I think they were practicing against the Chargers for a few days. And uh, I, I went out and got a bite to eat with him. And as we were eating, he just said, he said, Peter, we're going to be good. We are going to be big time good. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a guy with a 1-15 record who at the end of his rookie year in the NFL disappeared to the point where nobody could find him for a few days. Nobody knew he was in the Bahamas, you know, by himself, 
you know, just basically wallowing in his misery. And, and again, I only share that because, in my opinion, that's now what I see in Urban Meyer. Well, look, they better start building that that legacy that he thinks they can sooner rather than later. And I don't know how he would survive one in 16 or 0 in 17. And I don't think they're going to go winless. I don't think any of the winless teams are going to go winless. You get an extra opportunity to win this year that you didn't have last year. I think it's a lot more of an accomplishment, if accomplishment is even the right word, to go winless. But we know from Meyer's history, that's the difference between Meyer and Johnson. Johnson didn't have the history at the college level of burning out, flaming out, health reasons or health reasons at yeah. Florida and Ohio State. That's the difference, and that's what everyone's watching for. That's The history is baked in in two different places with Meyer, and when you see him despondent like that, you wonder if he's got the wherewithal to stick it out until the thing turns. Because for Johnson, it took three years before it started to turn. They got to the playoffs in his third season. But his second season, they weren't dramatically better than they were in his first season. I just I just wonder if Meyer, given his age, given his experience, given everything we know about him, is going to have that same kind of stubborn, dug-in, I don't care that we were 1-15, in 15. we got this thing. I, I don't know that he's going to have that same attitude. And I think no one will know until we get on the other side of whatever happens this season. Well, Mike, the other thing that Urban Meyer doesn't have, he doesn't have a trade chip like Herschel Walker to make you very, very confident about the future. Because remember, the Cowboys were in, the, in, in mid-October of that horrible first year of Jimmy Johnson. And he and Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones and he, he and Jerry Jones, however you want to, you know, split the baby there, basically got Mike Lynn of the Vikings to vastly overpay and to cause Mike Florio to curl up in a fetal position and say, oh, no, we've ruined the future. And you know what? I would bet that you didn't do that. I would bet, by the way, that when you got Herschel Walker and you saw him in his first game in the Metrodome go crazy. And the shoe and went off. Or whatever. Remember? I was there. The shoe like went 134 off. 134 yards. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you were pretty darn happy then. Forget the future. I love having Herschel. We're winning it all this year. <laughs> I was in my second year of law school. I had been to see the Vikings play for the first time in my life earlier that year in Pittsburgh after Pittsburgh had been Blown out 51-0 by the Browns. Lost 48-17 or something like that to the Bengals. The Vikings were a Super Bowl contender. The Steelers beat them, which was the one of the longest three-hour stretches of my life at the time. But the, the perception was, hey, running back away. That's all they need, running back away from, from being a true contender. And, yeah, that first game against Green Bay, there was the memorable play where the shoe came off. And it's like, oh, this is exactly what – they needed, and then it just gradually crumbled. And and meanwhile, the Cowboys used all those picks and all those players that they then abruptly dumped to get more picks. I mean, it was a genius trade. Yeah. I could see why Jimmy Johnson was, was so confident. But you're right, Peter. The Jaguars got nobody that they could even begin to consider flipping for that kind of a haul that would lay the foundation for the drafts and the players and the the, the guts of a team that could end up winning three Super Bowls in four years. So it's going to have to be something that's done more diff- in a more difficult fashion than what, uh, than what the Cowboys did. Speaking of difficult, let's get back to the second half of the Bengals' 
victory. Uh, and as as we pointed out earlier, Joe Burrow, 253 yards in the second half, connecting with Jamar Chase. The last drive, though, let's focus on that. And we got some sound from Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, and C.J. Uzama, who had the the catch and the run on the audible that set up the field goal. Let's hear from all three of them about um, what culminated in that game-winning field goal. They zero blitzed us because I, I don't know how many empty plays we ran, but it was a lot. And I don't know if the ball ever hit the ground. Um, so they, they, if I'm them, they had to try something different, and they zeroed us, and Joe was ready for it. So that was the second play call that you gave him, you gave him two? And I didn't give him. I gave him one. Okay. He got us to two. And, you know, I've, you guys have heard me talking about just having the playbook in the back of my head, seeing looks that, you know, I can take advantage of, and that just comes with experience. And, you know, they gave me a zero look. And so, you know, all week I know defense coordinator had a Baltimore background. You know, they showed some zero on film. I knew they, I'd have to be ready for it in a big spot. And, you know, I had CJ out there. That's not exactly the, the personnel that we usually throw those jailbreak screens to, but, you know, he really took advantage of the opportunity. And, you know, I, I, had, I had those plays in the back. Thank you. I had those plays in the back of my head expecting zero, and, and I, I just got to it and didn't really think about it. I'll be honest. I, I had to double take that one. Because um, that one was something I was like, wait, hold on. Where did you just call? <laughs> And TB was looking at me too, like, what did he just call? Um. You know, that's the second time in three wins so far this year that Joe Burrow improvises, calls a play, and Uzama ends up wow. getting the ball, and it sets up the game-winning field goal. Two times now in three of their victories. It's Burrow using his brain, not his arm, not his legs, just his brain to get the Bengals into the right spot. And that's what, you know, I this is what has been so impressive to me about Joe Burrow. Watch this. You know, you've got a basically uh, a very, very heavy rush. And he has the presence of mind and, and the courage because he knows that he's probably going to get nailed right there. And he has the presence of mind to basically say, okay, I'm going to stick in there and I'm going to make this throw and we're going to get a first down on it. And that's what, to me, has been so impressive about Joe Burrow. You can't throw a lot of things at him that are going to frustrate him. Or, I mean, look, he's not going to be ultimately successful all the time. No quarterback is. Tom Brady has had many failings over two decades of playing football. But you hang in, you hang in, you hang in, and you know that what you do is going to work. And it's not going to work every Sunday. You're going to lose some games. But to me, that's what that play showed me about Joe Burrow. He knew what was coming, and he knew on a zero blitz. Here's the thing, Mike. Even on a zero blitz, the great quarterbacks will tell you, I have an answer. Drew Brees always used to say that, like, if, if, if he gets a zero blitz, hey, I've, I've got solutions. Sean and I have worked on things. I've got solutions. This play is a perfect example I've got solutions on a zero blitz. You know, the great thing about that play is that the legal picks in the NFL today that are allowed, that you don't get flagged for, that also allowed that to happen. And you know, Mike, at the beginning of the year, everybody said Zach Taylor, you know, uh, whatever, he's on the hot seat and he's got to have a good year and he's got to do that. That play is such a perfect example of what happens if you hang in there with a coach and you give him a chance, and you allow his system to mature with those players. 
because three players did a great job on that on that play. Uh, the I did not see whoever uh, the blocker was who basically screened out Ozuma so that he could get the catch to get the first down and to get him in field goal position. And obviously Joe Burrow. So to me, I thought that game last night was really encouraging for the Cincinnati Bengals. And, and as I watch that game, I don't care who it's against, but as I watch this game, I want you to watch. Just watch. You see the little screen that is done right there to prevent the slot corner from coming over and getting Ozuma, or maybe it's a safety. You can't tell by this. But look at that screen. And that is a great play that no one will talk about. I guess I, I can't even read the number here on my monitor, Mike. But that's a great play that no one will talk about. But it was a huge part of why this play gained whatever it gained, 25 yards. Yeah, it's number 16 for the Bengals. I think that's a guy that popped up with a catch uh, at one point during uh, the second half. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll effort the name uh, so we can give number 16 yeah. the appropriate praise that he deserves. But, you know, people who aren't zealous all-in football fans, and most of the folks who watch this show are, most of the folks who watch this show know what a zero blitz is, but basically it means they're sending people, there's no safety, it's man-to-man -man coverage, and that's when you start manipulating picks. Offense will call it a screen, defense will call it a pick. Bottom line is there was a very well-timed and ultimately legal because no flag was thrown pick that was made to spring Uzama, but you know, people will also say, well, you know, you hear about you know, guys putting in film study. What does film study really matter? Well, you, you, obviously, to a guy like Joe Burrow, who's grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding, he made the comment, hey, you know, their, their defensive coordinator's got a Baltimore background. We know that this is what they do. I mean, it's, it's already having in his brain, Peter, the reservoir of ideas on how to deal with whatever looks I mean, that are given to him. It's a That's something that usually happens later in a career, not in your second season. Mike, I thought that that was a brilliantly prescient statement by Joe Burrow. You know why? Because, yes, the defensive coordinator does have a Baltimore background. It's Joe Cullen. And Joe Cullen is going to do Baltimore things. You can count on him. He's going to take some chances to put pressure on this quarterback. Okay, And he did last night. But to me, I think what you just said is so perfect because Joe Burrow now is, is doing things and showing signs early in his second year coming off major knee injury that look if I'm the Bengals they, I, I'm just telling you Joe Burrow's played some good football in his first year and a month all right and he obviously had the knee injury he's played some good football that half of football last night tells me if I'm a Bengals fan if I'm Zach Taylor I have zero doubts about Joe Burrow. And in fact, I know, not I just think, I know that he's going to be a top quarterback in the league for as long as we can keep him healthy. By the way, Trenton Irwin, receiver out of Stanford, is the guy who made the 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 screen. Those pick, are the things that win you games. Those plays win games in the NFL. I always remember, Mike. Early in my uh, football writing career, I was covering the Giants. And Bill Parcells used to say that the bottom eight or ten guys on your roster 
I don't know who it's going to be, but one of one or two of those guys during the course of the year will make the play that's going to win a game for you, you know, if you're a good team. And it happens every week in the NFL. You know, whoever, who, who, you can almost look at any game and say, some guy you never heard of made a huge play in that game. And again, look, is that the biggest play of the game? That block, you know, or that screen? It's not the biggest play. It is a winning play. Uh, and, and I wish we could pull up the Trenton Irwin headshot because all he needs is a baseball cap and sunglasses and he looks like my internet son pft commenter and at six foot two he's about a foot taller than pft commenter let's go ahead and take a break on that note and focus on the one game and peter i i i wonder if there's any football fan out there that wakes up today and looks at the schedule for this weekend and says holy crap Tom Brady's going back to New England. I had no idea. The one story that has saturated all of sports, Brady back to New England. We'll get you ready for that when PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. very blessed. I went to high school football where I fell in love with that with the Michigan, which was amazing for me. Um, had its challenges, but I learned a lot. 20 years in New England was incredible. Um, I learned a lot. You know, coming down here for a year and a half, I've learned a lot. So um, I have nothing but incredible thoughts, memories, emotions towards all the kind of football experiences I've had. And that, that's obviously one that was the longest. And um, I still have a lot of great friends there. But they don't want to keep their butt this week, so they'll they know exactly how I'm feeling once I'm out there. Peter, Tommy sounds a little raspy there, almost like he's been yelling a little bit more this week. Like maybe he's a little <laughs> agitated, a little antsy. The voice is starting to go. Uh, I I I I had only seen the words, I hadn't heard the words, but but uh, yeah. unless he's He's got some, you know, allergies or something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's been making himself heard a lot more than usual this week. Just a normal week. Well, you know, Mike, I think it would be natural for Tom Brady to be a little bit more on edge in practice. 
And I think one of the interesting questions here is, honestly, I mean, you know, is he going to be affected? He's the ultimate cool guy, you know, and and I wonder, you know, that's got to be a tremendously emotional day for him. First of all, you know, he's going to sit around all day Sunday in a hotel down in Providence. And I just wonder, what do you do all day to prevent uh you know basically just overthinking this game and what do you do all day and what do you do when you come on the field and the range of emotions that are obviously going to be going through his head that's the one everybody will say oh he'll be so fired up he said something to Jim Gray on on his uh on his show earlier this week where he said in essence I'm paraphrasing he said you know I always give 110 percent I can't give anymore so, I, you know, it's not like I can go and give 120%. And, and I think my point on that would be, okay, if he was playing the Houston Texans this week, he would be exceedingly prepared, fired up, you know, let's go, all that stuff. So is the fact that he's going back to New England, can it be construed in any way as a negative because of the emotions and the pressure and the thoughts that Tom Brady is going to have running onto that field before the game. Absolutely. And I have my own insights on to how that can be manipulated against him, but I cannot let the moment pass completely, given that you referred to Tom Brady as a cool guy, because I have to continue the dialogue beyond that. Cool guy? What are you, in the eighth grade? He's the first cool guy I've ever been friends with in my whole life. You know, it's a different world when you're with a cool guy. He's not afraid of anybody. Yeah. You should hear how he talks to waitresses. He gets free pie. I assume you know. <laughs> I, I assume I don't have to tell you what that's from. Uh, I think anyway. I know exactly cool what you're talking yeah. about. I think I get the point. Anyway, the emotion is the key here. And my, my assessment of it is very simple. If there is any part of Tom Brady that continues to be human, and there's a good chance that there isn't, he is going to be affected. And the Patriots need to, and I've been saying this all week, they need to go over the top with a video tribute. They need to, they need to pierce through that shell of the Terminator, and they need to melt his heart. They need to do... Uh, what the Colts did to Peyton Manning in 2013 when we all thought Peyton was going to show up with the big bad Broncos and kick ass and take names. They need to get Tom softened up, over the top, passive aggressive, to the point where he does get knocked a little wobbly. And also a point that Tony Dungy made when he went back to Tampa his first time as coach of the Colts in 2003. The other guys around Tommy are are not going to want to let him down and they may get caught up in the moment as well. And, you know, there's a chance I said this yesterday that almost like pre Super Bowl jitters for the Bucks and maybe Bill Belichick can keep his guys more even keeled. And that may be where an advantage comes from. You know, if I'm the Patriots in this case, well, you know what I want to do? I want to win the toss and I want to defer because I want if I'm Bill Belichick, I want Tom Brady to know, okay, give us your best shot, big boy. Here we go. You know, we we love you, but we're beating you today. We don't care what we did last week against New Orleans. We're going to win. And Mike, I think the way they do that, quite honestly, 
is I think that they try to get at Brady using a speed rush with Matthew Judon. The perfect guy for this would have been, and who knows, maybe if he's okay Sunday would be Josh Uche, the second round pick who is so fat for Michigan last year, who's so fast and who gets around the edge so well. But he's got a bad back. I don't even know if he's going to play on Sunday. You know, they're going to have to rely on the money they spent on Matthew Judon to really try to send a message to Tom Brady early. I think this is, this is you know, as I think about this game, Mike, I think what they have to do is rely on a couple of edge guys like Judon and Winovich. But mostly they have to rely on their dime package in the secondary because you just can't let Tom Brady over and over again pick you apart. You need to make sure that he doesn't beat you over the top with that deep speed with guys like, you know, obviously with Antonio Brown, the new guy, Jalen Darden, if he's even active. And he probably will be because Scotty Miller is out now. But I think what you have to do is you got to play six DBs more than a Bill Belichick team would normally want to. Where do you think the advantage comes from as it relates to the familiarity? Drew Brees was asked over the weekend if he were to go back to New Orleans and face the Saints, would he have the edge over Sean Payton based on his knowledge of his coaching? Would Payton have the edge over Brees based on Payton's knowledge of Brees, total game, tendencies, everything? And, of course, Brees says, it, I'd have the edge. But, but who do you think has the more extensive mental book of notes and things and quirks. Who do you think has the edge there? I know who I think it is. Who do you think it is? Mike, in, you know, you could talk about this and talk yourself in a circular way into believing that either guy has it. I think either way it's 51-49. I think it's very close because Bill Belichick for 20 years and his defensive coordinators, okay, basically every day in practice tried to frustrate Tom Brady, tried to beat Tom Brady. Brady, on the other hand, in a basically an iron sharpens iron deal, um, went against the great Belichick and his great defenses over the years and a lot of great defensive players in practice. So I think he knows exactly what Bill is thinking. But Mike, remember, you know, in Spy versus Spy, Okay, what are you thinking? I'm going to do the opposite. Well, I know you're going to do the opposite, so now I'm going to do the opposite of what you were thinking I was going to do. Oh, and now you're going to do the opposite of what I was thinking that I was thinking. And all of a sudden, it just gets to be a killer. At the end of the day, you know what you have to do? You got to trust your players to make plays. Bill Belichick has to trust trust Matthew Judon um, to get in the backfield and hit Tom Brady four times on Sunday night. He's got to trust Devin McCourty to run a secondary in the most challenging game he's played in a while because of the multiplicity of weapons that Tampa has. So I just don't think it's one guy who has the significant edge. You know, there's a game that I'm going to go back and watch today. And I hadn't thought of it until we were talking about this because I think Bill Belichick's got the edge over Brady because Belichick was in coaching for 25-plus years before Brady even shows up as a sixth-round pick. So Belichick knows far better than Brady does 
how the football sausage gets made. And there's only so much Brady, even with 22 years in the NFL, has experienced as a player in comparison to what Belichick has experienced as a coach. And Belichick was there every step of the way for the 20 years that Brady was his quarterback. And at some point, as we got closer to the end of the run, Belichick had an inkling that Brady was going to leave, and he starts building up an even fatter dossier for the inevitable rematch. Not rematch, but reunion with Tom Brady. The game that I want to watch today happened in the 2018 season, week three on Sunday Night Football, when the Patriots played the Lions and Matt Patricia, because that night Tom Brady completed 14 of 26 passes for 133 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And that was a year that culminated in the Patriots winning another Super Bowl. And the Lions were the Lions, are the Lions, and possibly always will be the Lions. And they won that game 26 to 10. And Matt Patricia's back in New England. I want to watch that and see what the Lions did that night to Brady. Because whatever they did, it worked. I don't know what the, the line was going into that game, but I have a feeling the Patriots were favored, and I have a feeling it was by more than six and a half points, and the Lions won by 16. Yeah, well, I would respond to that by saying that the, uh, the New England Patriots that night in 2018 did not have Mike Evans did not have Antonio Brown, did not have Chris Godwin, and had Rob Gronkowski. But I would say Rob Gronkowski is probably a more refreshed player. And just in case Rob Gronkowski can't go, they have two starting tight ends, O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait, who are there for Brady if he's getting heavy, heavy pressure and he needs to start dink and dunking. So that's what I would say about all that. Um, you know, Look, we can talk about this for a thousand years. And what I would say is that I think it was very smart in many ways for Brady to leave. But the, take away all the emotions of it. Let's look at the reality of this. How do you think Tom Brady would have played last year, okay, with the weapons that he would have had in New England, with tight ends you never heard of? With wide receivers, maybe the best one would have been Jacoby Myers. You know, with, I mean, Bill Belichick left the cupboard bare at wide receiver and mostly at tight end until this off season. So to me, Tom Brady, he could go up against almost any team a lot of weeks in 18 and 19, and he would have been just a guy. Um, and that doesn't discount what Patricia did to him that day. But they but won I'm the Super Bowl in 18. They won the Super Bowl in 18. They did win the Super Bowl. So they had something. 13 to 3. It was not. But they it, won but it. what I'm saying, Mike, it was a survival. It was a survival right. season. It was a survival season. It was not a season. It was unlike any other season the Patriots won the Super Bowl. It really was. Even going back to that first one. Because they had so many answers all the time. Patriots didn't have many answers for people offensively by the end of 2018. That that continued into 2019, even though they were winning all the games in 2019 and, and, and all that. I got that. But did you see, Mike, think back. Remember when the Patriots just nipped Buffalo early in 2019 and Tom Brady came to the podium afterwards? This was billed as... Hey, the Bills are the rising stars. They're going to challenge the Patriots now. And whatever the score was, 16-13, it was a low-scoring game. Tom Brady came to the podium. He 
was pissed. And you know why he was? Because he didn't have answers anymore. That's why it's just better that he's gone. I just, I think as, you know, for everybody who said, oh my God, he should have stayed in New England. I talked to a bunch of fans last week for a piece that's going to be on the show on Sunday night. Um, and a lot of them, you know, are bitter at Brady. They still are, they, they are because they think he should have stayed. But quite honestly, Mike, it just, it, it, he should have gone because it was time for a full rebuild. Yeah, that was a 16 to 10 game in Buffalo. Moved the Patriots to 4 and 0. Brady was 18 for 39, 150 yards, no touchdowns, one pick that day. Um and 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 look, I I I think we all all of us who've been paying close attention to the NFL for the past several years knew that that it wasn't sustainable, that they didn't have the talent around him. And if he wants to keep winning, he's got to go somewhere else and it's worked. Here he is from yesterday talking about how things ultimately ended for him and the Patriots. All those things are super personal. Um, you know, we had a great relationship. Um, I think everything was handled the right way. You know, we handled everything as gracefully as we could. Um, it was an amazing, like I said, time, and um, it was handled. It was handled perfectly. I think everyone understood, you know, where we we're at, the people involved in the situation, and um, you know, things worked out for the best for for all of us. And we're all trying to do the best we could do now. It's what happens in life. You know, you go through these experiences you don't know where life's going to lead and I think the only thing I know how to do is give it all I can you know in every day moment and the people who really bet on me you know and and I want to do really well for them Brady said back on HBO's The Shop in June 90% of the things he says aren't true because he never wants to give anybody anything so I just don't listen to anything he has to say anymore other than to acknowledge that his voice really is raspy he needs some hot tea and honey and rose hips and flavonoids but there is a a controversy percolating as to whether or not Belichick did or didn't meet with him none of that that stuff matters look the, the, the relationship was where it was and what matters on Sunday night is he's going back to a place where he spent 20 years of his life and the challenge for the Patriots, I continue to believe before it becomes X's and O's. And that's where the challenge we've already discussed. And I want, I want to talk to you about one more thing as it relates to that, but the, the, the key for Brady is going to be harnessing, processing, understanding the emotions. And if there's any part of him that's human, I just, I don't know how in the world anyone could do that after all those years in one place after all those accomplishments in one place I don't know how you can go back in one night and quickly turn off everything you're going to be feeling when you go back there I just I just don't know how you can do it I I agree and I'll be very interested to see how Tom Brady plays early you know does he throw some sky balls over Mike Evans's head I don't know but Mike if he can harness it if he can manage it, if he starts this game eight of nine for 163 and two touchdowns, I'll tell you, we've never seen anything like this guy. We already have never seen anything like this guy, but I, I, I agree with you. I think the emotions of the moment, uh, no matter what the Patriots do pregame, are going to have an impact on this game. Well, and everybody thinks that that the Buccaneers and Brady will be fine. We had a post yesterday on PFT. The vast majority of the money that's being wagered on the game through the points bet sports book, the money line bets, the spread bets. I mean, it's ninety five percent plus 
on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So people think he'll be able to overcome it. You mentioned the 6DB possibility earlier, and we texted about this yesterday, and I had visions of the Super Bowl 25. Let Thurman Thomas get 100 or more rushing yards and we'll win the game. Right. Bill Belichick had to struggle to sell to a proud Giants defense, and it worked. And the 36 game plan where he dared Mike Martz to run with Marshall Falk and had eight guys in coverage. I almost think that that an element of that game plan, that approach from those two games, take Tom Brady out of it. Make make it be about Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, and Gio Bernard if he's healthy enough to play and not Tom Brady. Do you think we'll see some of that on Sunday night? Yeah, I mean, Mike, I, I will... I'll tell you this, just from over the years, knowing people, not just knowing Brady a little bit, but knowing people like Tom Brady, the competitive types. I remember going back to really the, the when I covered the Giants in the mid-80s, Phil Simms, you know, he threw for 4,044 yards in 1984. And before the 85 season, Parcells went to him and said, you're not going to be throwing for 4,000 yards this year. We're going to be running. And Sims said, in essence, to Parcells, I could give two craps what we do. I mean, I, you know, if we run, you know, 59 times and pass one and we win 30 to nothing, all great. And, and I think that is exactly the way Brady feels. If he hands it off uh, to Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette 38 times on Sunday, and he has an okay game, and they win by double digits, he'll sign for that right now. So my feeling is, when I talk about the six DBs, I think the Patriots are going to say, beat us by running. Because Belichick, you know, he did it with Marshall Falk, uh, you know, as, as we, and we've discussed, and going way back to Thurman Thomas, uh, when he was defensive coordinator of the Giants in that 90 Super Bowl. You know, if, if you just know that Bill Belichick is sitting there saying, I'm going to take away what they do best. Now, I understand how Bill can say that, okay? And I understand that he might believe that they can do that. But the question is, how many of those weapons on offense can you take away? I mean, they're just, there's so many good players on that offense. If they go five wide, the fifth guy in that five wide, whoever he is, could score three touchdowns in this game. Let's say he's Tyler Johnson. He could score three touchdowns in this game because they have immense talent at the skill positions. And that's why, to me, those two edge guys are going to be so important. And whether Donovan Smith can hold up against that rush on the left side of their line, and he hasn't always been able to do that, I think if I'm the Patriots, I'm looking... At, at that opportunity because I've got to get to Tom Brady. And the one reunion that's been overlooked, and then we got to go to break, not Brady, obviously, not Gronk, which has been discussed, but the Antonio Brown return to New England. He never actually even played for the Patriots in New <laughs> he England. Had he had such a great career in New England. <laughs> but, 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 Peter, Peter, it was so acrimonious, and he's the number three yeah. receiver on the Bucks, and he's back from the COVID list. And that that bond between Brady and Brown got so strong so fast. I, th- I think that even though Tom's going to go through his progressions and throw to the open man, he's going to be looking for Antonio because he's going to want to give him a football that he can take home 
after that game saying, hey, Very I went back point. to Foxborough and I scored a touchdown. And he gave him one. Hey, Mike, Mike, Mike. He, he gave Antonio Brown one in the Super Bowl. And I bet he gives him one Sunday night, too. All right, let's take a break. We'll take a look at some of the other games because there are other games to be played on Sunday. We'll get no, for those when no, don't say it, Mike. I love Patrick Mahomes. He's a transcendent talent, best quarterback in the game. Although the idea that, hey, we've stunk so far, and I'm invigorated by the fact that we've stunk <laughs> because now we've got greater motivation to unstink. Hey, I, they, they still have the talent to do it. They just need to wake up. They've lost their mystique, Peter. That, that's really where they are, and they need to believe in their mystique again before anyone else will. Mike, the fact is, and I wrote about this in my column in Football Morning in America on Monday, the fact is, uh, other than the game they lost to uh, the Chargers at the end of last season when they called off the dogs and Mahomes didn't play, uh, the last 10 games they played have been decided by a touchdown or less. And you might say, oh, big deal. They're 8-2 in those games. It shows that they're good and blah, 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 blah. No. It doesn't, doesn't show that to me. You know what it says to me? It says to me that, you know, great teams, truly great teams, blow people out. And I'm really starting to wonder whether they have answers. And Mike, I'll just say this. Every single defensive coach who's got Kansas City on their schedule the last two years, everyone has spent days of the offseason trying to find answers of how to stop them. And I believe that because they are not deep at receiver, that they know that if they stop, in essence, Tyreek Hill, they know that they've got a really good chance to win. And to me, that is, the, that is what I see right now with the Kansas City Chiefs, that they are just okay at the receiver position after some years of being absolutely superior. And, and, and that's the reason, really, why they signed Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon's a wing and a prayer, but they need that. As Sim says, all these defenses committing to playing that umbrella coverage and forcing the Chiefs to be patient when they don't want to be patient all the time. They've had to be patient a lot of the time since 2019 when defenses began to react to the presence of Patrick Mahomes. And I remember Mahomes telling me before the 2019 season, they're ready for that. They know it's going to happen because it happened in the 2018 AFC Championship game when the Patriots took away Tyreek Hill. But now the defenses are fully committed to forcing patience all the time, and the Chiefs either can't execute it consistently or they don't want to, and Mahomes gets frustrated and he tries to do something that isn't there, and that's why we've seen these mistakes. Meanwhile... Another reunion game, Peter. This sets up perfectly for Andy Reid and the Chiefs going back to Philly, only his second time back since they let him go. It was a Thursday night, I believe, in 2013 when the Chiefs went back to Philly with Andy Reid and won fairly easily. The Chiefs need this one. The Eagles, I think, are kind of stumbling through whatever they're going to be. That The records are the same, but I think just like Monday night, Cowboys on a higher level than the Eagles, Chiefs on a higher level than the Eagles, and the Chiefs really need to establish themselves with a blowout where it's not close in the final minutes, where it's one and it's over, and they can get back to 500 that way. 
Mike, in the third game of Andy Reid's career in Kansas City, they went to Philadelphia, week three, 2013. And Andy Reid prepared to play Michael Vick at quarterback with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's how much has changed in eight years. Uh, that was Alex Smith versus Michael Vick. <laughs> so things have, things have been set on their heads a little bit. And now, obviously, Mahomes comes out. And look, I love a challenged Mahomes. I love an angry Kansas City team. I talked, to, I talked about how 10 consecutive games, close games for them uh, in, in the regular season, going back to the middle of last season. I kind of don't think this is going to be close. I think the Chiefs go in and uh, they play really well and they, they handle the Eagles. They went on their Super Bowl run at a time when they'd been overlooked and forgotten. Mahomes had been injured. They'd lost some games. It was Lamar Jackson. It was the 49ers in 2019. Right. And 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 Mahomes told me after the they beat the Broncos in a in a snow globe game in December, I kind of like the fact that no one's really paying attention to us. And that's where it had gotten. And it's kind of back there now. And we'll see what they can do with it. Panthers undefeated going to Dallas to take on the 2-1 and one Cowboys. Can that Panthers defense slow down a very balanced and dynamic Dallas offense, Peter? Well, you know, so far, Mike, this is, this is to me, of all the fascinating games this weekend, and, and I'm just talking about in terms of X's and O's, this is the game that I'm really looking forward to seeing. And this is why. All right, so the Cowboys right now, at the beginning of this year, what would you have said about the Dallas Cowboys? They're going to be fine offensively. They're going to score enough points. Can they stop people? And led by Micah Parsons and the resurgent pass rush that he has provided, they're allowing only 23 points a game in the first three weeks. Meanwhile, they're scoring 30 points a game. It's exactly what we thought was the recipe for success. You don't have to have the best defense in football, but you can't have the worst. You know, If you can hold teams to somewhere in the low 20s, the Dallas Cowboys, I think, will run away with the NFC East. That is what is playing out a little bit right now. Meanwhile, on the other side, look, you know, the Carolina Panthers, they have been so stingy on defense early, and people are now getting to know this, who Phil Snow is, their defensive coordinator who came with Matt Rule from Baylor. To me, I think in the first three weeks of the season, first month of the season, you tell me who's got a better front seven right now than... You know, Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, Shaq Thompson. Uh, I mean, this is a formidable defensive front. And I think now that they've tried to reinforce their secondary, I don't know if C.J. Henderson is going to work. I, I, I don't know. It's good, I guess, to have a, a new start. I wouldn't be counting on him, him necessarily. But I do think that that defensive front gives Carolina a chance to really make things hot for Dak Prescott. He's not going to be able to be patient in the pocket on Sunday. Prescott's the key here, too. Coming into the season, we weren't sure how the ankle was going to 
hold up under normal playing conditions. He had the shoulder injury that was so deep in his back, it was more of a back injury, the lat pull. And three weeks ago today, Sims was positioned by the pirate ship in Tampa the day after the Cowboys almost beat the Bucks, and Dak Prescott threw 58 passes. And Sims and I shouted from the rooftops, this is not sustainable. You need more balance in your offense. And, of course, the analytics mafia came after us. But the point is, you can't expect the guy physically to be able to throw 58 passes. Regardless of whether or not, oh, we don't need to establish the run anymore. That's not modern football. Fine, but he can't throw the ball 58 times a game. They've found balance the last two weeks. They had 41 runs and and 27 throws on Monday night against the Eagles. That's the way they need to do it because then the running game is working, the passing game is working, the defense is always guessing, and, and Prescott along the way looks better than he ever has, Peter. When you have a 1B running back solution, if you have Elliott and Pollard, Mike, I'm not so sure that that Pollard by the end of this season isn't going to be 1A. You know, you, he's getting just enough opportunities now in that offense to basically show a lot of people. I think if you if you didn't know anything about football and you watched and you didn't know anything about who was the high-paid guy, I'm I'm asking you right now, who's played better so far this year, Elliott or Pollard? To me, the answer's simple. I think it's no no question. It's been Pollard. So, you know, that and, and I'm not trying to create anything here, Mike. I'm just simply trying to say that if they need, you know, to if they need that depth eventually, that's really gonna show up well for them. Wow. And, you know, it came up last week, the question of Ezekiel Elliott's contract and is he earning it? It doesn't matter. He's got $13 million guaranteed next year, too. That's the all product of the, the holdout from a couple of years ago where he took a stance when he needed to. And uh, they got to pay him and they got to keep him and they got to work with both of them. All right. Seahawks 49ers. Peter, Russell Wilson in his 10th season has never lost three games in a row. The Seahawks have lost two in a row they are staring down three in a row at Santa Clara on Sunday against a 49ers team that is wounded after coming up just short against the Packers man who who you know I mean I you could say that the Seahawks definitely need this one more they can't fall to one and three not in that division but the 49ers are not going to be easy to beat in their own stadium well consider that there's a good chance that the reason they lost that game is because of one of the five, six, eight best passes that will be thrown in the NFL all season. That little off his back foot, little ar- low arced job that was about six inches above the six inch, the six foot four Fred Warner's outstretched arm, which was just. For Aaron Rodgers to just very calmly do that, I just that that play should be on the very short list of great plays when you do the time capsule for Aaron Rodgers in Canton in ten years or whenever it is. But but having said that, you know I don't think the 49ers lost a game where they were horrible. I think sometimes you have to say that team beat us because they got one of the best quarterbacks of all time. We didn't play horrible in this game. However, I would also say this. The same problems for the Seattle Seahawks continue to crop up. Post-Legion of Doom, they don't get great play from their corners. Okay, And 
in the 10th year of Russell Wilson being the quarterback of this team, there still are offensive line issues. It's almost like, you know, the, the harder Seattle tries, the harder they try, the harder it is to build that offensive front. It has really been, I think, like the one Achilles heel for John Schneider, who I think is one of the best talent evaluators in all the years I've covered football. But it's hard to evaluate the offensive line. And over and over again, Seattle has come up short doing so. And consider this, Tyler Lockett, hip injury, limited in practice Wednesday, didn't practice Thursday. DK Metcalf pops up yesterday with a foot injury. He was limited. That hampers things as well. Last year, they were 5-0, and and it fell apart down the stretch. And that's when we got the Russell Wilson post-Super Bowl consternation on Dan Patrick's show. It's happened a lot earlier this year. I, you know, we'll just watch and wait for Wilson's agent to say, my client wants to stay in Seattle. But here's a list of the teams to which he would accept a trade before the <laughs> November 2 deadline. All right, Steelers-Packers. Peter, it's falling apart in Pittsburgh. Shades of YA tittle for Ben Roethlisberger. And Aaron Rodgers, as you said, looking better than ever. Not that much younger than Big Ben. They've turned it around after the week one debacle. This one has blowout written all over it. And by the way, it's only the first time in Rodgers' career he's facing the Steelers at Lambeau Field because he was injured the, the last time the Steelers were supposed to come there. Yeah, and and look, Mike, you know, this is if, if you were if you were Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy and and Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, and you could have designed a schedule. Okay, coming off, I think when you looked at it originally, coming off an emotional game uh in San Francisco, a primetime game, traveling back home, <clears throat> you know, from that game, and you say, Oh my God, we got the Steelers coming up. And look, the Steelers with a little bit of a banged-up defense, with an offensive line that, Mike, you know, every Tuesday I sort of take a little bit of time and I look over every team's stats and I, and I said, what's interesting, what's not? Remember how the mantra in this offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers, we were embarrassed at how we ran the ball last year. That will never happen again around here. They draft a guy high in the draft at first-round pick, Najee Harris. So what is it right now, Mike? 3.2 yards a carry, Pittsburgh Steelers. They stink again running the ball. And so last in the league. I think... Last in the league. Yeah. I think what it says essentially is you can want everything that you want, okay? But at the end of the day, what is so vitally important is knowing exactly what you have especially in a position that's so vital. You've got an older quarterback who's not a mobile quarterback, and you draft a running back to basically say, we're going to do this different now. And again, you know, it's hard to know coming into the season, during the season. I saw that offensive line in two great drives against the Detroit Lions in the preseason. But again, Detroit Lions, a lot of backup guys. and and But now they are not being able to hold up for Ben Roethlisberger. So to me, I, I don't think this is temporary, Mike. I, I think this is, this is going to be a continuing problem. And at some point during this season, you know, the bottom might fall out on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Peter, I agree with you completely. I've been calling that offensive Frankenstein monster of mismatched parts. You've got the veteran quarterback, the rookie running back, 80% turnover on the offensive line, some holdovers at receiver, 
tight end that you like, a rookie that you're trying. It's just too much, and it's not working. And they can say all they want. Oh, we're getting. What else are they going to say? Man, we suck. I mean, they have to say the 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 glass half full stuff during the press conferences, but. I, I don't think they've hit the bottom yet. And now watch, they'll end up beating the Packers on Sunday. If they do, great. I'll be impressed. I don't see it happening, especially not with the way the Packers are currently playing. All right, let's take a break. A couple of undefeated teams are getting together from the same division on Sunday. Something's got to give. We'll talk about Cardinals at Rams and more when PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.